Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 47 of Hack to Start. This episode features F. Rodriguez, the director of Global Social at HTC. Tyler and I wanted to invite F onto the show to share his insights as a marketer, creative strategist, and entrepreneur. With a background in writing and journalism, F has always been passionate about startups, good marketing, and cool technologies. He joins us today to share his insights on working abroad, being curious, and exploring new technologies and ideas. This is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, F, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, happy to be here. So let's start off by getting to know a bit more about yourself. Where are you from? What did you study and how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop? Yeah, so I am from Texas originally. Um, I haven't retained much of a Texas accent, which is probably for the better (laughs) because it's a very weird, bizarre accent. You say a lot of y'all and fixing to do this, fixing to do that. But uh, I kind of considered Colorado my home, oddly enough. I spent 12 years there in Boulder, um, which has since become this hotbed of startups and, and just notable happenings within tech. And uh, so, yeah, if you were to ask me point blank, what do you consider home? It would be Boulder, Colorado. I went to university there, the University of Colorado, Boulder. And um, while I was there, yeah, just being in a place where Techstars was taking off, where you know young companies were getting gobbled up uh, by companies like Twitter, et cetera. Yeah, it gave rise to a, a real yen for building stuff that didn't exist, that should exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just... It seemed right. I mean, I have a ton of energy, and it seemed like the uh, situation was ideal to let that thrive. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the long and short of it. That's cool. So, so when you graduated, what, what was your first job out of school? Yeah, so after I graduated, I was interning at a PR firm. So I've, I've worked a lot of different angles within marketing. So I started in PR, I moved to advertising, and then ended up within a kind of client-side brand marketing my first job was, yeah, as I said, at a PR firm. And the whole reason I got that role was because I understood digital communication. I mean, Twitter, this is back mm-hmm. in uh, 2007. Twitter was extremely new. Facebook was kind of unproven. MySpace was still a place people spent time. And I was someone who had spent years and years on, you know, GeoCities or LiveJournal or AngelFire. And so the idea of spending, you know, meaningful time and having meaningful experiences online was uh, just something I understood. And so when I was looking for a job out of, out of school, uh, I was dropping words like blog, which at the time was like, oh my God, you know about blogs? I knew everything about <laughs> blogs because I am blogs. And so, uh, yeah, they were just really over the moon about having someone who understood all this new stuff in 2007 and hopefully could direct a lot of that um, experience toward clients, you know, how to tell better stories using, let's say Twitter, let's say LinkedIn, let's say Facebook. So uh, yeah, I started out in PR and um, 
I became the social guy. You know, that guy understands this new thing that is kind of weird. You know, it doesn't have a ton of users, but we're starting to see it covered in Wired, etc. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of set me apart um, for the better because there's a lot of bozos in PR. <laughs> and um, I don't consider myself one of them because, yeah, I think you have to wield marketing a very specific way, especially um, on social. And so that's kind of where I found myself out of college as a social guy at a PR agency working for clients and figuring out at where all this is headed, you know, in 2008, 2009, um, as Twitter got more followers, as MySpace disappeared, as, you know, Dig gave way to Reddit. Um, yeah. It's cool. It was an exciting time. Oh man, it was it was so it was so quiet back then. I mean, you could get. I remember when when Twitter started, there was just the home feed, like you could see everything that everyone else yeah. was tweeting. And um, there was some random site called Plurk. It was like a, they had their own karma system. It was just a very open, ridiculous time before I think a lot of brands discovered it, and as a consequence, you know, Twitter and other platforms started to monetize, leading us to today. But back then, dude, it was. It was good times. Oh, man. <laughs> so before working at HTC, which we'll get to a little bit later on in the episode, you worked at many major creative agencies like Wyden and & Kenny and Crispin Porter and Bogusky. So what drew you to join these creative agencies versus going over to like a product type company? Yeah, so I was a, a journalism major at university. And part of that involves uh, kind of hopping in and out of very different stories, very different situations. I mean, you could be covering... A city council meeting, you could be doing a restaurant review, maybe covering a tech trend. And so what I liked about that was uh, the almost schizophrenic uh, environment that that forces, where you're constantly becoming an expert in various things, you know, regularly. So when it came time to kind of figure out, you know, where do I want to spend, you know, my time? What do I want to do? I loved the idea of agencies where you could work on American Express one moment and then Old Navy Microsoft, Jose Cuervo, Domino's. I've worked on every single one of those accounts, and they're all radically different. I mean, they have different brand histories, obviously different products, and then within the um, within the details. I mean, how to market alcohol, like how to market tequila to people, very different than you market Old Navy denim mm -hmm. or you know Microsoft's operating system. I mean, everything is very, very distinct from each other, and I loved that. And so, uh, because it mirrored my old journalism background. So that's why I kind of picked advertising, you know, the agency side of things, because at any given time, at any given hour, you're working on something completely different than the hour before. Uh, and I loved it. I mean, then as now, I have just way too much energy. I loved hopping into things that I didn't understand completely, but felt like I could figure out. I was part of a uh, game testing unit at Crispin Porter Bogusky. We were building uh, mobile games for some of our clients, and so I would you know, test out the software, find bugs. Um, I loved it. I mean, other times I would write copy or figure out the strategy for something. I worked in UX. Uh, yeah, very, very frisky time, if, if people use the word frisky in that capacity. Very frisky. <laughs> they do that now sounds, if they don't. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, really, like a really cool experience. So what were some of the biggest lessons you learned during this time? Oh, man. I, I suppose the main one was people are lazy. Uh, I, I think a, a lack of laziness is is frequently your your ticket to the front. Uh, I mean, you would I would work with people who were genuinely not interested in learning about that new thing. So uh, when I worked at uh, Crispin, Google Plus came out, and Google mm -hmm. Plus was you know it, then is I mean it's it's still kind of a 
an interesting sort of platform because it's not quite this, it's not quite that. No one knows, you know, uh, really the end game for it. And I dove right in. I mean, I wanted to know everything about it. How does it affect search? How does it affect um, YouTube? Because, you know, it's, it's hooked into the entire kind of Google uh, landscape. And, yeah, I frequently found that people were just not eager to figure this stuff out or they would talk about it as though they had figured it out, hoping that someone else knew the answers. And so uh, I stayed late. <laughs> I stayed very late all the time uh, at Crispin, at Wyden, uh, just because, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not a lazy person. I, I just really wanted to dive in and figure this stuff out because it changes. I mean, that's the thing I think that has marked my career um, most uh, dramatically is how different social media is in 2015 than it was in 2007. And in terms of how people use it, in terms of even the phones that they're using, um, yeah, I, I, it takes a certain tenacity to keep up with it. And yeah, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is, um, yeah, the tenacious, the non-lazy people are the ones who uh, elbow their way to the front most of the time. There's a bunch of, there are exceptions. There's some really dumb people at the top in various places. <laughs> but um, I like to think that I'm not one of them. Oh, absolutely. That, that's amazing. So you run a few startup events like Startup Weekend, Startup Week, Ignite Talks, and TEDx Boulder. What has led you to be so passionate about volunteering and what made you want to get involved in these types of events? Yeah, in the, I'll put it as simply as I can. I didn't want to be a corporate stooge. I mean, the last thing I wanted was you know, to work for cool companies and make cool things and then not have anything cool for myself at the end of the day. Because I think a lot of us get into that routine if you work on the agency side, if you work for you know, a big old company, you end up making up amazing ideas yeah. for this pizza company or amazing ideas for this um, athletic apparel company or whatever. And at the end of the day, those ideas belong to those companies. They're not yours. And so for me, um, I wanted something for myself. I wanted to be able to give form to something and then see it through and you know defend it if people don't like it and then make it better uh, almost like running a startup without you know abandoning my full-time job because throughout all of this I've never worked for a startup I've always done startup events tech events stuff outside of work just shy of you know starting my own company and so with with startup weekend with startup week ignite TEDx that was my opportunity to do it and a lot of it uh, is due to a dude I met, his name is Andrew Hyde, he's the guy who founded Startup Weekend, um, one of my closest friends on, on the planet. He was the best man at my wedding, just an absolute class act. And so in 2007, 2008, he was you know, starting up a ton of stuff in Boulder. And for whatever reason, he yeah, looped me in, he let me um, help guide a lot of this stuff, and it became a big part of my, lot, uh, my life outside of work. So at 6 p.m., suddenly a switch turns off, and another one goes on in my head, and I'm in event mode. So we, yeah, blew up Ignite Boulder, the biggest Ignite in the world. Um, TEDx Boulder selling out, you know, close to 2,000 seat venues, easy. Just really uh, creating an atmosphere in Boulder of collaboration, creativity, and it was ours. I mean, it, it belonged to us. I mean, not the community per se, but the event, mm -hmm. you know, lives and breathes uh, depending on, you know, what we put into it. And I loved that. I mean, it was ownership, but it was also, I don't know. I mean, it was like I gave birth to something, man, as weird as that sounds. No, no, absolutely. Um, completely understand. 
yeah, so that was kind of a, yeah, that was that. And it's still a big part of my life. When I moved to Amsterdam, I got involved with uh, a mobile app community they, they have called um, Appsterdam, which is a great pun. <laughs> when I was in Chicago, I tapped into some co-working spaces there. Now that I'm in Seattle, I helped run uh, Startup Week Seattle. Just, yeah, it's my way of kind of offsetting what I do for a living, which is, you know, make big things for a big company. I also want to do some small stuff that, you know, lives and dies in a day, but it was exhilarating to watch it, you know, unfold. Yeah, absolutely. How did you guys plant some of those, you know, initial seeds in, especially in Boulder, like as, as the community is starting to build and, and you guys are, you know, instilling the creativity and the, and the smallness of, of the startup weekend and stuff like that. How did, how'd you guys go about building that? It was a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about anything that is volunteer based. Uh, you have to turn up. I mean, we would, we would start a meeting, you know, uh, we would start like an event cycle and we would have maybe 20 people at the table with us. And by the time it, it got down to running the event and doing things, half of them would leave. I mean, it, it takes a lot to dedicate time and energy and creativity to something that isn't making you money. We didn't mm -hmm. make a dime off of any of this stuff, and we didn't want to. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of uh, late nights, a lot of you know, figuring out the easiest way to do something so that we can spend more time doing something you know, complex. Uh, technology helps out a lot. I mean, things like, you know, how do we send out you know, a lot of emails really fast? Or what's the easiest way to you know, ticket this event? Things like Eventbrite, et cetera. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't overnight. I mean, we, our first Ignite Boulder event was in 2008, and it was in a university classroom at the University of Colorado campus. So fairly small, fewer than 100 people. Most everybody knew each other, you know, very grassroots. Mm -hmm. And we got to the point where, yeah, we were filling up Chautauqua Auditorium, which is a big venue, like I think more than 1,800 seats. Wow. Uh, most people don't know each other, and that's okay. I mean, a community is... Uh, meant to grow as long as the intentions stay pure. And ours is always about getting amazing ideas in front of other people and seeing them, you know, take off. So, uh, yeah, definitely not an overnight success. But I think myself, uh, I won't speak for Andrew Hyde, but everything I know about him indicates that, yeah, we were just 100% committed to um, just making it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I love the energy. It's so cool. So Thank you. So, so you're currently the uh, the director of global social at HTC. So, for those who might not know, what is HTC and, and how did you create the opportunity to end up working there? Yeah, so uh, HTC is a I would characterize them as a maker of well designed devices. We um, we made our name by making smartphones. Uh, you may have heard of the HTC One M8. We recently released the HTC One M9. Uh, we make other things. We're building a VR experience, like a headset and everything no with with Valve, which is going to be extraordinary. We make cameras. We build a lot of stuff, and all of it, kind of the hallmark of every single item is the design that goes into it. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so yeah, that's kind of the company. As far as my role, um, yeah, I consider myself very lucky. Uh, so I'm the director of Global Social. That's a lot of liaising with uh, other offices. We have big offices in Taipei, um, in the UK, uh, in America, obviously. And so... Uh, I attribute that to, I, I lived abroad for a year and a half. I lived in Amsterdam. And it was the most incredible time of my life. It just completely, fundamentally uh, broke my worldview. 
Because up until that point, I'd never left North America. I'd never been to Europe. I'd never been anywhere. And so living abroad was, um, I, honestly, I think it's a prerequisite to a lot of the global roles that exist. You have to have that uh, grasp of the world beyond um, you know, Verizon and the thing, Whole Foods, the things we have in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are different carriers, different supermarkets. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it was instrumental. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I, what I do here. And I owe a lot of it to uh, having seen the world and having you know, given the world the benefit of the doubt, learned how to do things differently. Um, I missed Chipotle immensely <laughs> when I lived in Amsterdam because it's very hard to get a good burrito in Amsterdam. Is it now? That's crazy. Oh, man, it's impossible. It drove me crazy. That's a business opportunity there. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, so you kind of mentioned a little bit li- liaisoning with the other offices kind of around the world, but, you know, what, is that, what does a day-to-day role look like? Uh, and how, what, are, what are some of the things you focus on? And, and how do you stay in touch, I guess, you know, what tools you guys use internally to, to kind of keep everyone on the same page? Yeah, we use a lot of what you would expect. I mean, we, uh, from Skype to Slack to... Um, to some degree, uh, like Google Docs. I mean, just a big battery of collaborative software. I mean, I think you must have those things. In terms of day-to-day, a lot of it is, is just back and forth with different markets. One of the things that we do, um, because we are uh, the global team, we have access to a lot more resources than some of the smaller offices in you know, specific countries. So what we do is frequently we'll make social content, you know, stuff for Facebook, stuff for Twitter, etc. And we make that available to all of the markets. So if you need some stuff, for whatever reason, if you're, you don't have enough uh, content to go out any given week, here is some super pretty, attractive, handsome <laughs> photos or videos or whatever that you're free to use. I mean, you can localize it, obviously. We'd encourage you to. But, um, yeah, a lot of what I do is, is uh, fixated on making sure what we give to the markets is what they're looking for. If they want more of this or more of that, if a particular product you know, isn't a priority in that country because maybe it's not out yet, mm-hmm. okay, then we'll take that into consideration and make some more stuff that you can use. So the last thing we want to do is waste anyone's time with you know, content that just isn't a fit. And um, yeah, a lot of it is just listening, trying to you know, hear people out. Um, it... It works pretty well, to be quite honest. I think once you meet people in person, I'm, I'm on the road a fair amount, I think it's easier to have that back and forth if you're more than an email address. I mean, these people have met me. Mm-hmm. And uh, in person, I'm just as ridiculous as I sound, I promise. Uh, <laughs> and I think as a consequence, yeah, they, they don't mind dealing with me because, yeah, I have feelings. I have hair. I'm a, I'm a human being. I'm not an email address you know, yeah. uh, that is cold and hard to relate to. So, yeah, it, it takes some time on planes, which is fine. I like cookies. Planes have cookies. It's, <laughs> it's a happy marriage. There you go. That, that's pretty awesome. I think, I think that's something a lot of people forget about, especially, you know, like making that face-to-face time and getting to know people beyond their email address or their job title. Uh, that's, that's a good point. So Totally. You mentioned that, that, you know, you lived in Amsterdam for a little bit. You worked in Chicago. You're now in Seattle. You're from Texas. How has, you know, working in all these different environments changed you know the way you work and, and some of the way you see the world I know you said that Amsterdam had a huge impact on your worldview so what has that experience kind of brought to you so far yeah I think I still consider myself a creative person I mean I, I was a journalism major I worked as a copywriter slash strategist whatever I think yeah that worldliness that you know travel aspect of my life is 
has made me a more creative person. I, I think I approach problem solving differently. Even uh, critical thinking uh, is something that has developed uh, directly or better as a consequence of having you know lived in different places. Mm-hmm. Chicago is a very different place from Boulder, Colorado. But I'm glad that I lived in both places because you get a better sense of marketing opportunities in either place. I mean, Chicago has the L. I mean, people are taking the train in and out of work. There are no trains in uh, Boulder, but there are bikes in Amsterdam, and it's a completely different culture. Just knowing how those three uh, different ways of life are, I just, I don't know, having that familiarity is, it's invaluable. So, yeah, I think it does make you more creative. It does, you know, enhance what you deem as possible when it comes to marketing or when it comes to, you know, communities. It's, uh, yeah, I I cannot understate it enough how... um, pivotal and crucial, you know, living in three different cities, four different cities, however many, uh, has been for my mind, uh, 100%. That's really cool. I can I can totally relate having having been to a couple different places for, you know, a little bit more than than sort of like a, a standard vacation. Um, that's cool. I haven't had a chance to check out Amsterdam yet, though. Oh, you got to do it. It's the best sandwich in Amsterdam. Uh, I can direct you to it. It'll oh. blow your mind. Oh, really? There you go. Okay. Well, where, where is it for everyone listening? <laughs> uh, for everyone listening, it's this place. It's a restaurant called Baton. It's uh, French. It's on the, uh, the Herengracht, up kind of east of the Jordan. Anyway, it's a chicken, bacon, avocado sandwich. They put it on uh, ciabatta bread. Amazing. Amazing. Cool. Sounds, sounds really good. Hopefully, I didn't, uh, I didn't just put you on the spot and gave away Amsterdam's best cast secret, <laughs> but there you go. No, there are worse fates than that place getting more business. They deserve it. <laughs> exactly. Cool. So you're also a pretty active blogger, uh, but you know what got you started with, with blogging? Yeah, as I said, I was, um, I was a journalism major at university, but even well before that, um, writing is just immensely important to me. It's something I crave in people I hire. It's something I respect in people that I uh, interact with and get to learn more about my uh, even to this day, my favorite, favorite, favorite uh, social network uh, was LiveJournal. LiveJournal was more popular like in the mid-2000s, but um, oh, I loved it because it was all about writing. It was mm-hmm. diary entries back when people had like, you know, web diaries and web logs and all that stuff. Uh, I, I just thought it was so fantastic just to see people writing paragraphs, you know, every day about what's going on with their lives, etc., and so, yeah, I've tried to keep a hand in it because I think it's a really valuable skill. I think it, it's cathartic. You know, it lets you get a lot of what's inside, outside. Um, sometimes you have to make those posts private <laughs> depending on, on what's going on in your life. But, yeah, I, uh, I have always been a writer. And so I've, I've tried to keep up with it. I know that blogging as a pastime and as a, as a tool has kind of evolved over the past five years. I mean, you've got upstarts like you know, Medium and, and various other places, even some of the uh, social networks that were about one thing have suddenly grafted on a blogging component, such as LinkedIn. Facebook used to have um, the blogging capability. I think you had like a separate blog section. Yeah. MySpace had the same thing. MySpace had blogs as well. So um, yeah, I still maintain like a proper like WordPress kind of thing. But um, yeah, th- it's more like a... I just I like having a place that I can just dump the stupidest thing in the world onto without worrying about it getting retweeted or you know all the metrics that come with social media. Sometimes it's nice to just regurgitate something onto a page so that it has life, even if you're not breathing life into it daily. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was actually, you know, checking your site out ahead of uh, ahead of speaking with you, and I saw your one of your most recent posts on the Travago guy and comparing yeah. it to a Pokemon, and it's hilarious because that's what I was thinking. I don't know, maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, um, I had seen one of the latest commercials. And I'm like, what's up with this guy? It's like he's evolving. He's like changing. <laughs> and I saw Dude, it on your blog. Guy. I'm like, no way. Somebody else thought that too. Oh man, here's the thing, uh, Travago guy. I love Travago guy. When he when his first commercials came out, and I, I worked in advertising, so I'm, I'm a big fan of commercials, as lame as that sounds. Uh, and I remember like all the Twitter comments about this guy were all about his clothes. Yeah. Like, what? This guy looks like a hobo. Why isn't he wearing a belt? His torso is too long. And it's been extraordinary to see him not only keep his job, because, I mean, that's enough to you know, doom a spokesperson, like you know, negative, yeah. tweet, uh, negative tweets. But now he's like wearing a tuxedo. He's looking super slick. Uh, and it's kind of like a redemption story that's played out in advertising. <laughs> people love this guy. There's like women are like, oh my God, Travago guy, he's got it going on. I don't even know if people still say he's got it going on, but people tweet it. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, I thought uh, as, a, as a Pokemon, he's a 100% like that thing. He started this way, he evolved into this thing, and now he is the ultra like amazing version of Travago guy and everyone loves him. Yeah, we'll see where he goes next. I don't know. I don't know what's left for him to do. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. The mind reels. I, I I can't even fathom what's happening next. It's gonna it's gonna be cool. We'll have to we'll have to stay posted uh, on that. So uh, you mentioned that you know there, there's been a whole bunch of new tools um, that you know you you still maintain your own WordPress site, um, but you do a lot of blogging on LinkedIn. So why LinkedIn over over Medium? And what what has you know both platforms brought brought you and why yeah it's funny linkedin i i built up a, a fairly strong following on linkedin not following so much as like a contact list and the thing i like about linkedin is is you don't have to worry too much about people finding your content because you've got <laughs> them kind of like hanging out you know it's it's a quieter atmosphere yeah. i mean twitter is it's crazy i mean twitter is just insane um especially during you know like live events i mean twitter is just it's the Wild West. LinkedIn is a quieter place. And so it's easier, I think, for you to not only have your content stand out, but it seems like every action anyone takes with a piece of content on LinkedIn pushes that content forward, whether it's a comment or a like. It seems like the whole site is modeled around pushing good stuff around, which I love. Mm -hmm. And you could argue that you know other platforms have that as well. But for whatever reason, um, LinkedIn, because a lot of the content, you know, veers toward the, you know, spammy kind of like top things you shouldn't do in a job interview, like all this other nonsense, it's, it's easy to drop something relatively creative and have it take off. Because mm -hmm. everything I've posted on LinkedIn has been, you know, fairly tongue-in-cheek. I'm having a bit of a laugh with it because I like to laugh. Uh, and it's amazing to see days afterward, people are still liking, people are still commenting, Compare that to Twitter. I mean, a tweet is you know dead and gone, and yeah. maybe ten to fifteen minutes. Um, Facebook, obviously, you know things will live on if there's enough heat behind it because of the the algorithm. Uh, but yeah, for whatever reason, I just gravitated toward LinkedIn. Medium, I think, is cool. I end up on Medium a lot. Um, there's some really good startup postmortems that end up on Medium, yeah. uh, which I find really fascinating. Um, it's it's there's a, I love that there are alternatives now to things like Blogspot, things like WordPress. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but I think competition, I think evolution is always good. And so um, there's probably others that I should probably play with. There was something called Notography that I think I played with for a heartbeat. Um, even Tumblr. I mean, Tumblr is a great blogging platform. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's, I seem to have kind of pigeonholed it as a place for gifts. That's probably <laughs> you know, doing it a disservice because I know a ton of people and brands whose blogs are on Tumblr. Yeah. That's what they are. So, uh, yeah, I, I like playing the field. I, I mean, uh, my personal blog is, uh, I think it's Squarespace now that I think about it. Um, you know, that's kind of like something I've committed to, but I am more than willing to play with any and all new things. And that goes back to just loving startups, um, like a Boulder type, you know, affinity for new things. Let me try it out. Let me see how it evolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, always up for that. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. You should check out uh, Ghost. I've been using it uh, since they launched on Kickstarter, and it's a Markdown-based uh, sort of backend. Um, okay. Once you get the hand of writing in Markdown, it's actually super quick to crank out some cool writing. Uh, I really Go like right it. On. So yeah. What? So what's next for you and HTC in 2015? You guys, you mentioned the VR headset. Uh, what? What else are you guys working on, or what are you personally going to uh, look look to tackle next? Yeah, the VR stuff is is extremely exciting. I recently did a a, a demo of the headset, got you know to hang out in just a virtual environment. Extraordinary. I mean, I know a lot has been made of VR, whether it's cardboard or Oculus Rift, etc. Oh man, I mean, it's it's something else. Uh, just the idea of being involved in any capacity with that world is it's got me just dancing in my seat and I don't even know how to dance but I do it anyway <laughs> so that that uh, is something I'm I'm extremely excited about with regard to the company and with regard to just my own interest I mean I'm, I'm a gamer I've played World of Warcraft since 2007 uh, I play Pokemon I'm a complete idiot when it comes to games and so uh, yeah I mean as far as the next frontier of gaming maybe it's VR I mean I it's hard to really um, kind of pin those things down because no one knows it's going to happen. But as far as the experience, it's legit. It's super, super, super exciting. Um, yeah. Man, looking forward to it. I think I think VR will play a role in, in sort of the next gen of, of gaming. So I know Sony's got their, their sort of headset coming out, I think, later this year, too, for the PS4. So it'll be cool to check out. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of really awesome companies in the mix. I mean, um, yeah, it's just for someone who is a fan of technology, a fan of gaming, a fan of just amazing, cool, techie experiences. I am excited across the board for what VR uh, has in store for people. It's, you know, it's, it's a, a tricky thing, you know, from like a uh, consumer standpoint, because a lot of us are used to playing games on a phone, right? So suddenly you're, you know, you've got a headset on and you've got, you know, all other sorts of things involved. I think it's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm nerdy enough to, to definitely be on board. Yep, I'm on board too. <laughs> <laughs> So where do you see the biggest opportunities for entrepreneurs? And besides VR, what technologies or industries are you currently really interested in? Oh, man. Uh, I would say um, mobile video is something I've been enamored with lately. I was doing some reading on um, just video stats around YouTube. And and obviously, now that Meerkat and Periscope are available for Android, uh, yeah, just the whole notion of whether it's you know ephemeral video that lives and dies in a second, or just real-time chronicling of you know a life shared in front of other people, it's it's extremely exciting. Um, even like something like video commenting, I think that's been tried a handful of times. I don't know if it'll ever take off. I think Amazon has video reviews. Just the notion of video everywhere mm-hmm. um, and phones that can power it. Uh, data packages that make it, you know, uh, financially feasible for you to consume it. It's it's something I think is amazing. There was some startup I forgot who it was 
that backed it. Maybe it was a Kevin Rose thing where it was like a blogging platform where you could see the author kind of moving in the background. I don't remember if it was like an animated GIF or what, but basically, yeah, I remember that, this. I remember with this one. I wasn't it like airtime or something. Yeah, something like that. Maybe I don't remember. And think, yeah, anyway, it was a simple, a simple twist. I mean, it was still you know blogging software or whatever, but you did get to see. And I think it was. I think there was like a filter applied. You yeah, did see the yeah. author in the background, like as he wrote it. And I love things like that. Just little touches that bring a bit of humanity back to what could otherwise be a sterile you know, environment of text on a screen. Mm-hmm. So um, broadly speaking, yeah, uh, uses of video in mobile capacities or in creative capacities, I love that. I think it's, I think it's great. So are there any apps, devices, tools, or books that you're currently obsessed with right now? Oh, man. I'm, uh, it's not new at all, but it's something that I just cannot let go of. I love Evernote to death. I'm doing insane things with Evernote. Um, just constantly um, on it. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not like an entertainment thing, but I just love that I can pick up any device, and I have a lot of devices, as you would expect, um, and resume what I was writing or thinking or just reading or whatever. I, I love it to death. Um, Do you use the Evernote Moleskin? No, I don't. I really should. Here's the thing I discovered about myself. I'd always, uh, earlier when we were talking, I mentioned, you know, I'm a writer. I've always written all this stuff. I am garbage at handwriting. Like, I think the muscles in my hand have atrophied to the point where I can't do it. I w- if, if I write anything longer than a post-it, mm-hmm. I have to call, like, 911. It's just bad. I, my hand locks up. It, I start to cry. It's, it's the absolute worst. So, no, I haven't used the Moleskin. I know that it's, it's really fancy. Um, really, really cool partnership, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, Evernote, I spend a ton of time on. Um, I'm starting to get into Slack. This is more like productivity stuff. But um, I like it. It's cool. I mean, it's collaborative. It's you know got a bit of IM to it. It's got a bit of um, kind of asset management to it. Um, I dig that. And I'm trying to think of anything else that I've played with lately that I really dig. I try a ton of stuff. I, as as I said earlier, I'm just I want to play with absolutely everything. Even staying up on like microtransactions and games, mm-hmm. I'll play. Um, I think Marvel had a game, Contest of Champions. Like It's a fighting game where you get to play as Wolverine or whoever, and you get to punch Spider-Man in the face. Who doesn't want to do that? So fun. Um, <laughs> but even the little different currencies within the game are just, it's illustrative of where things are headed. You know, you gain enough of these things, you buy this thing. Or you can spend real money and buy some of these things, and you'll get this big, amazing thing. Um, yeah, so I, I try to play with as much stuff as possible I read, you know, Product Hunt like everybody else, and uh, yeah, I download a ton of stuff. One of the frustrating things is waiting for things to be available for Android. Mm-hmm. I'm an Android guy, and so it seems like everything is iOS first, which is frustrating, yep. but yep. I am uh, many things, including patient. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, I feel your pain. <laughs> so do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by you think others should know about? Oh, man, personal motto. That's a really good one. Um, I would say don't be lazy. Or maybe don't be lazy, you dummy. <laughs> I spent, um, I don't know, I, 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 I can trace, not trace, I can attribute so many of the positive things about my life and career to, yeah, not being lazy, man. Just staying late and um, 
downloading that thing and not telling someone, oh, yeah, I played with it when I didn't. Like actually hopping in, creating an account, making some content, finding other content. I mean, yeah, it's so easy in marketing um, to just assume that someone has it all figured out and then you get your marching orders from like Mashable or you know any of the other kind of digital marketing uh, sites. It's not enough. I mean, I think you, you really have to will yourself into playing with this stuff, experimenting with this stuff. And it can be crazy awkward. I mean, Periscope, the idea of live casting, you know, your big dumb face eating some ice cream <laughs> yep. just so that you can understand it. Yeah, totally worth the experience. Or, you know, Snapchat. I mean, I don't think these things are the domain of, you know, super young people. Yeah. I think you can figure out your way in because uh, I think when you relinquish um, your spot at that table, things get dangerous and then you become, you know, kind of a dinosaur and you don't really know all the new stuff. And I, I, yeah, I don't want to go there. I don't want to head that down that path. I'm allergic to dinosaurs. Maybe that's the best motto. Be <laughs> allergic to dinosaurs. Cool. That, that's amazing. That's some really good advice. Uh, we had tons of fun having you on the show. Thanks so much for speaking with us today, F. Oh, no, it was a hoot, man. This is good times. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Hack to Start, and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.